Blue Cliff Record, case 48. Oh, Taifu and the tea ceremony. Main subject. Oh, Taifu went to Shokei Temple for the tea ceremony. When Ro Joza lifted the kettle to bring it to Myosho, it overturned. Oh, Taifu asked, What is under the kettle? Ro Joza replied, The hearth deity. Oh, Taifu said, Why would the hearth deity overturn the kettle? Ro said, one may serve in office for a thousand days, then lose it all in one morning. Oh, Taifu swung his sleeves and left the room. Myosho said, Ro Joza, you have long had food from Shoke Temple. And still you wander about the countryside gathering charred wood. Ro Joza asked, What about you, master? Myosho replied, This is where the devil gets the better of you. Secho remarked, At that, I would have kicked over the tea kettle. Secho's verse. Cleaving the air, the question came. The answer missed the point. Alas, the one-eyed dragon never showed his fangs and claws. With fangs bared and claws unsheathed, lightning flashes in storm clouds, surging waves swirl and rage, turning against the currents. The other day, I think it was yesterday, Mioran spoke of Chief Paul Waterman, and she wasn't here when we first dedicated the Zen Center here on Seneca Turnpike in 1996. But some of you were. Raise your hands if you were here. One, two, three. Oh, that's good. Okay. Then you remember how Edo Roshi and Chief Paul Waterman together participated in the dedication ceremony. Edo Roshi in very correct official Rinzai tradition and Chief Paul Waterman in totally bizarre fashion. <laughs> he was wearing a baseball cap 
and he ran through the house <laughs> with Sage. He wasn't really running, but his spirit was running. He himself had physical difficulties. But his lively spirit, purifying. And at one point, we were all seated in the Dharma Hall downstairs, and people were reverentially serving everyone. And Chief Paul Waterman turned to Ada Roshi and said, how come people are always giving you things? <laughs> Ada Roshi looked appropriately Zen master-like. And Chief Waterman took off his baseball cap and put it on Ada Roshi's head. <laughs> and then at some point I made a little speech thanking everyone for coming and saying how, although we were really happy to have finally found this place for the Zen Center, we also knew that it was not our land, but that it was, in truth, the Haudenosaunee, who lived here for so many centuries. And when I finished saying that, Chief Waterman said, okay, give it back. <laughs> and you might say that's what we've been doing ever since. Every sitting. Giving it away. So today's case, O Taifu, he was the governor of the district who installed Choke Eryo. If you were listening to the dedication, you might have thought, I wonder who this Choke Eryo was. He installed him as abbot of Shokeji and Myosho Token was the vice abbot. So both of these figure here in this koan. Rojoza was a senior monk. Choke was the Dharma heir of Seppo. I know some of you know Seppo. And Myosho was the Dharma grandson of Ganto. So Seppo and Ganto were both students of Toksan. So we're in Toksan country today. Some of you don't know who the hell are these people she's talking about. <laughs> Eventually, you will meet them if you have not yet. So, old Taifu was the honored guest, and Myosho was the host. Host and guest. This interchange between host and guest is more than a matter of etiquette. It's one of the key principles of ancient China and a very important principle for 
Zen practice. At Daibosatsu Zendo, perhaps what we learn most is how to be a host, right? And what does it mean to be a host? Care for the needs of those who come into your home. To care, care for the needs of those who come into your home, or in this case, our temple, or in DBZ's case, the monastery. So to care for the needs means to see before there is a need, so that no one ever has to ask. Where do I find something, something? It's already prepared, already there. And to understand how to be a guest, this is also very important. How many of you have had guests come and after about the first half hour, you're like, how long do they stay with me? We're staying. I don't know if I could take any more of this. Yeah. How many of you have been guests where you really understood what it's like to be completely inconspicuous, to leave no trace, to express gratitude? It's very important to know how to be a guest, right? So all of you have been my guests in this case, and you have all expressed your gratitude so beautifully. How? By sitting with diligence, by caring for the temple, by making so beautifully the grounds look and feel cared for. So in this case, you are the host. You are the host for everything that grows, everything that needs to be told, not here. <laughs> I know, you will come back, but today, you're out of here. This too is being host. Discernment. So we have a flexible mind regarding host and guest and often find ourselves going from one to the other as circumstances dictate. But of course, uh, although we may truly have some intuitive grasp of traditional customs in this regard, we are not enslaved by them. And to give you a good example of that, who but Master Rinzai? Hmm? Yes. So this is from the Record of Pilgrimages, chapter 20. The master, that's Rinzai, arrived at King Yu's place. Seeing the master coming, King Yu held a stick crosswise and sat down, barring the gate. Okay, he's the host. King Yu's the host. <laughs> the master struck King Yu's stick three times. He then 
entered the monk's hall and sat in the first seat. So third seat, very special honored guest seat. First seat. Mm -hmm. King Yu came in and seeing the master, he said, there is etiquette between host and guest. Where do you come from, reverend? You are extremely rude. Now remember how he greeted him, right? The master said, What are you talking about, elderly Osho? King Yu started to say something. Immediately, the master hit him. King Yu pretended to fall down. The master hit him again. King Yu said, Today is not my day. <laughs> Wonderful. We have host, guest, host, guest. Vibrant spirit of Zen. So in this case, Ro Joza was assistant to the host, the host being Myosho, the vice abbot of the temple. Perhaps Chouke was somewhere visiting some other temple, being the guest somewhere else. So we have this government official coming for tea, very important guest. The patron of this temple, the one who installed Chouke as abbot. So a lot is riding on this tea ceremony. Hmm? Better get it right. And Jojoza goes over to the charcoal brazier and lifts the kettle, and it overturns. What happens when the kettle overturns? All that water, right? Not a minor matter. It's not like he dropped the teaspoon. He dropped the whole kettle. <laughs> Tea ceremony. How many of you have participated in a formal tea ceremony, perhaps by Urasenke or another tea school? So you know how important it is to be the guest, all the rules for having exactly what you must do in your attentiveness, and how graciously the host takes care of you, making you feel there's nothing you need to worry about. If you forget a certain way to bow or you don't remember about your, how to fold your napkin, it's no problem. The host makes you feel just as you are. You are so welcome. Yes? Basically, 
tea ceremony is an art form that has the main function to make a beautiful atmosphere so we can appreciate sounds, kettle boiling, shapes, ancient tea utensils, scroll and the tokonomo. Everything is done for the comfort and enjoyment of the guests. Smooth, harmonious, and there is a mutual concentration of host and guest, each so aware of the gestures of the other. Deep mutual appreciation. And in a way, the ritual of tea is the ritual of social relationships. So I mentioned earlier about host and guest principle going back to ancient China. The basic rules of tea also from ancient China, which is when this O Taifu and the tea ceremony took place. The basic principles are harmony, respect, purity, and tranquility. Now imagine you go into a restaurant, right? Go over to, I don't know, Armory Square or Erie Boulevard for dinner. And what's the first thing that you feel? Maybe crowded. Almost every place now has some sort of music playing. People are bustling around. Maybe they realize that you're there. Maybe you're waiting for a while. Someone takes you to your table. Finally, you get seated. You may feel the waiter or waitress is being attentive. But sometimes it's kind of strange. They ask things like, everything okay? <laughs> anyway, in uh, this book, The Book of Tea, there's an afterword by, <clears throat> Sho, uh, by So Shitsu Sen 15. And he says, this uh, principle of harmony is related not only to the social dimension of a tea gathering, but also to the conduct of our lives in accord with nature. So here we are sitting in accord with nature. <coughs> we hear the summer insects. We see the joyful exuberance of the flowers on the altar. We feel the warm air currents, one with summer. Then he says, while contemporary life offers us access to many conveniences 
that allow us to carry on daily life without regard for the natural world, let's close all the windows and turn on the air conditioner. At the heart of Chanoyu tea ceremony lies an intricate and subtle interaction with one's environment. Isn't this Sazen? This is especially apparent in the awareness of seasonal changes that is so much a part of ceremony, from the choice of utensils and foods to the method of preparing the tea. When the great tea master Senorikyu was asked to explain the secrets of using the brazier and the hearth, that is, the essential distinctions in preparing tea during the winter and the summer, he replied, in summer, impart a sense of deep coolness. In winter, a feeling of warmth. Lay the charcoal so that it heats the water. Prepare the tea so that it is pleasing. These are all the secrets. So in the midst of summer heat, to suggest coolness. Not because we don't like the heat and therefore want to change our circumstances. Quite the opposite. To appreciate. So, in this case, an accident occurs. Now, in tea ceremony, just as in life, after all, it is life with an elegant flavor, nothing but life, we take care of it quietly and with an unruffled composure. And actually, an accident in the tea ceremony adds something, something wonderful to the ceremony. Just like a tea bowl, a prized tea bowl, perhaps originally a utilitarian bowl from Korea from the year 1200. Who knows? But to see this tea bowl, and then what? It drops. And then what? Someone takes all the pieces, puts them back together again, maybe with glue that is with um, pigment of gold. And then this tea bowl is more wonderful than ever, not because of the gold, but because of the care given to it. Treasured now more than ever for its, maybe you know the terms wabi and sabi, something that is so from the earth, modest, unassuming, humble, simple, and has deep resonance for the mind of reverence. Anyway, there's a wonderful book called Tea Life, Tea Mind. 
written by the person I just was quoting, who did the afterword. And he says, in one teacher's house hangs a scroll that says, place of self-humiliation. This is the T scroll, the scroll. The place of self-humiliation. Now, how do you feel about self-humiliation? Something to celebrate? Probably not. But he says, when you enter the way of tea, no matter how you think you may disgrace yourself, it will not be taken as disgrace or shame. Make mistakes. Be rebuked. Stand corrected and learn. Now, this is very hard for us. When we make a mistake, we don't want anyone to know about it. If somebody actually sees that we have made a mistake, we don't want to be rebuked. No, definitely not. And we don't want to stand corrected. We want it forgotten about quickly. Ignored, if at all possible. And learn. Well, we do learn from our mistakes, but mostly we learn unwillingly. So often, if I have to correct somebody, there's this feeling of, oh, I'll never get over this. This is so terrible. And maybe tears coming. and ah, You don't love me anymore. <laughs> so I just shut up, you know. But this is no good. I can't avoid it. Ricky wrote a poem as a guide for the student of tea. Fight your shame. Throw out your pride and learn all you can from others. This is the basis of a successful life. When he says fight your shame, that means don't keep going over the same stories about how you're no good, you'll never be any good. Oh, this shame is so bad. It's so terrible. Your life is probably the worst life that anyone ever had. And why? Because they've been so awful to you. And now, how can you help but make a terrible mistake? Oh my God, now what? Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> Throw out your pride. Shame is a function of pride. The student of tea, once on the path, must put away his doubts about himself and ignore the slighting remarks of others. He must give the greatest attention to his study and practice. Tea, like cleaning, is not a skill to memorize, but one that is acquired slowly by the body and the spirit. This is wonderful. This is how we learn. This is how our practice comes to fruition. Slowly, slowly through the body. 
Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Wonderful. And you say, thank you. Thank you to your mistakes. I think it was also yesterday that I read Faith in Mind, yes? Remember that verse at the end, one in all, all in one. If only this is realized, no more worries about your not being perfect. The worries, no need. Not being perfect is perfect. Just like that tea bowl. Beautiful. More so now that you have somehow done something like upset the kettle. But if you have this mind of deep reverence, you can see this, feel this. If not, you're caught up in pride. And pride and also the stories, you know, as I said, we tend to immediately go back into all the karmic conditioning that led us to make that mistake. A kind of immersion in self-loathing. Certainly not what tea ceremony is calling for. So here, Rojoza makes a mistake, and the first thing he wants to do is cover it up. The governor says, what's under the kettle? In other words, where is your grounding? What's under your feet? Where's your practice? What's fundamental? And Rojosa replied, the hearth deity. Okay, well, this is a kind of generalized reference to a shared cultural belief system that There were deities for every aspect of our lives, including a hearth, the well, all the the household, all the domestic affairs had deities which were honored and respected and given offerings. Even the bathroom, even the garden, protecting everything so well. So great care taken with all aspects of everyday domestic life. And of course, to say the hearth deity, if Rojosa had realized this reverential mind toward the hearth deity for its loving protection, then mistake no problem. But in saying, What's under the kettle? The hearth deity. What? Maybe feeling humiliated about his mistake. 
And therefore, who is handy? Who is handy? Why did the mistake happen? How come the kettle overturned? It was the hearth deity. <laughs> the hearth deity must have been having a bad day. Kind of exploded the kettle. What could I do? Well, you know, this I'm making kind of a joke about this, but really that's what we do. That's our, you know, go-to response. Well, as you know, if he hadn't done whatever. And we feel plagued all the time. There's so many hearth deities. <laughs> oh, Taifu is not having any of this, he says. Why would the hearth deity overturn the kettle? The hearth deity is there to offer protection, right? He's caring for the hearth, not subject to carelessness or inattention. After all, this is a deity, hearth deity. Remember, we're in ancient China, okay? But really, what is under what we see as superficial reality? What is revealed by this form? Huh? What's underneath? <laughs> How about here? What's underneath? We walk on it. What is it? We speak about mindfulness, walking mindfully with attention, right? Zen practice, attention. We don't eat with mindfulness anymore. We eat with attention, right? Of course we are mindful how we handle everything. So this feeling of reverence toward the bowl or the teacup. Yet at the same time, our Zen practice is urgent. Wake up. Enliven your life. Bring your activity into everything you do, knowing that it comes from doing nothing. As I said the other night, if you come from something, you overturn the kettle. So how we sit together, how we work together, how we breathe, all of this chanting, serving, aware. And then there's this, what we may say is a kind of old-fashioned view of the world as having spirits in it. But we may not speak of spirits, and yet we still, I think, all of us feel a sense of awe when we sit deeply. 
What is supporting us? What is breathing us? What is living us? And we can feel each material thing is spirit manifesting as podium. And thus we have this new Tory, this new gate and fence, a work of art. Some 20 years ago, the original design was made by Vaughn Minner, landscape architect who did our master plan. And the time had not yet come. But now, thanks to generosity and vision of a Sangha member honoring grandmother who cared for him under the most extremely adverse conditions. Now, creating this. You know, cedar planks and a carved archway and columns may seem just a well-crafted design, but each is none other than what Umon pointed to when he said to his monks, everything has its own light. Each of you has your own light. And then he asked, what is your own light? And as usual, no one could respond. So he answered for them. The halls and the gate. And then he said, Blessing things is never better than nothing. So tomorrow we will bless this gate, this gateless gate, Mumon, with nothing. Halls and the gate. Another way of appreciating this is another koan, Sermons of Insentient Creatures. You may think, oh, the gate, wood, right? Of course, many of you are attuned to the fact that what is now taking the shape of wood was once a tree and will become what? Humus, just like all of us, temporarily taking this form. Eventually, not too long from now, humus, humus. So this sermons of insentient creatures, Tozan said to Isan, 
I've heard that Chu Kokushi, the national teacher, taught that insentient creatures expound the Dharma, but I'm not clear about it. Isan said, Sermons by insentient creatures are given here for us too, but few can hear them. Tozan said, Would you please teach me about them? Isan said nothing, just raised his whisk straight up. Tozan said, I don't get it. Maybe some of you feel that way. He said, would you please explain? Explain? Isan said, I am completely unable to tell you using the mouth that my parents gave me. Why don't you go to Master Ungan's place? They were always doing this kind of thing. I will not tell you, but try that guy. So Tozan asked Ungan, who can hear the sermons of insentient creatures? And Ungan said, insentient creatures can hear them. Tozan then said, why can't I hear them? Ungan raised his whisk straight up. Do you hear? He asked. Tozan said, no. Very honest, wonderful Tozan. Then Ungan said, don't you know the flower garland sutra says, birds and trees all chant Buddha, all chant Dharma. Upon hearing this, Tozan had realization. Of course, it was not the quote per se. He had read Flower Garland Sutra, but somehow, readiness of time. And because of his great frustration, this is so important. Sometimes you may come to me complaining, I'm feeling so frustrated. Hmm? I can't get it. And that's so wonderful. And you don't like me to say that. But what did Mumon say in his preface to the first case of gateless barrier? It's like a red-hot iron ball. You can't swallow it down. You can't spit it up. This is the state of being that we must embrace, not run from. Everything, every fiber of your being may be saying, get me out of here. But the here that you want to get out of is exactly, exactly it. And he wrote a verse. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
sermons by insentient creatures. You fail to hear if you listen with your ears. Listen with your eyes and you will hear them. This is Zazen. This is eyes open in the radiant glory of this summer afternoon. But poor Rojoza. Hmm, not hearing sermons by insentient creatures. Not feeling the support of the hearth deity or any other of spirits. Here we are in this Onondaga Valley, supported by all these spirits, nature spirits, spirits of all the beings who have lived and died and become humus in this earth beneath us. So what about us? How do we react when a mistake occurs? Roe said, one may serve an office for a thousand days and then lose it all in one morning. He's speaking to a government official. All these days in which I have been practicing here as a monk, and now this one mistake. Have you ever felt this way? Something, a moment of inattentiveness where you've just not been with it. And something. I remember when I was quite young, uh, one of my first jobs was as a, a publications director at Marymount College. Terrytown, New York. And we had a young woman who came in and helped out with some of the clerical work. This must have been back in our 1972 or three. One day she came in in tears, looking as white as a sheet. Really quite hysterical. What happened? She was driving on her way to work. Suddenly, a little girl ran out from between two parked cars. And she hit her. And her life was never the same. Of course, this little girl's death killed her, killed her. Any one of us, we have such complacency, but really at any one time, anything like this can happen. 
we are sitting because we know this. We know this more deeply the more we sit. And even though we may think, well, dropping a tea cuddle is not really a big deal compared to what can happen, still rolled. Joza was crushed. And not only he was crushed by having made a mistake, but as I said before, his pride, his feeling of deep shame, he couldn't break out of his sense of failure. When we have this kind of feeling, we can't, we can't get out of it. And what happens? One mistake leads to another. This pride and fall, humiliation. So maybe we beat ourselves up and lead our lives with this sense that we are no good. Fundamentally, underneath, we're no good. No matter how many times you come to Dogsan and I tell you, you are Buddha. You say, yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe in some other life. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a teacher. You're telling me I'm a Buddha. It's ridiculous. Can't you see? Can't you see how terrible I am? So no one ever says this, but you bring it with you. And Nikki was telling me a wonderful thing that his guitar teacher said about this tendency we have to want to beat ourselves up, want to do something to punish ourselves. He said, if you cut off a finger every time you make a mistake, you won't be playing the guitar much longer. <laughs> Wonderful Zen teacher. And, you know, when we feel this agony, we are really feeling agonized by the fact that it is now confirmed that others can see just how bad we are. This happened to poor Rojoza. Oh, Taifu was disgusted with his response, swung his sleeves and left the room. This is really severe. The honored guest got up and left. Not a good thing. His teacher. Also, Myosho, Rojoza's teacher, said, You have long had food from Shoke Temple, and still you wander about the countryside, gathering charred wood. Still running around looking for charcoal, thinking that maybe if you just get the right load of charred wood, your life will be better. This is not being the master of circumstances. Not being the one with perfect equanimity in the midst of 
everything going awry. After all, we live in a world that is going awry. How do we want to live in it? This is up to each one of us. Tani Kogetsu Roshi was the teacher of Yamakawa Sogen Roshi. He was a very good friend of Edo Roshi. And on his deathbed, he said, his last words, my whole life has been one continuous mistake. Wrong is right. Right is right. Nothing is fundamentally a mistake unless we're caught up in dualistic thinking. To embrace mistake. Embrace as it is. Right here. As you are in this mistaken body. How many of you think you're in the mistaken body? <laughs> we all need Kyungha's body. <laughs> oh, all this time we are thinking, if only, right? If only I could get my knee to work better. So then... Rojoza, hearing this from his teacher, says, What about you, Master? This is really pathetic. What about you? Are you running around the countryside gathering charred wood? Do you ever make mistakes? Could you please tell me something to make me feel better? Myosho replied, This is where the devil gets the better of you. First he's blaming the deity, and now he's caught by him. Hmm? In the Vimalakirti Sutra, it says, when people are afraid, spirits can take advantage of them. So think about it. When you're sitting and you're consumed with fear that if the bell doesn't ring soon, you'll never walk again. <laughs> this indeed is the very moment when the devil gets the better of you. And you know this. You fall into hell right away, right? Everybody knows hell. Not some theoretical realm. And then Secho remarked, at that, I would have kicked over the tea kettle. At that, he's actually going back to the governor, referring to the hearth deity. Why would it have overturned the kettle? Secho says, I would have kicked it over. Wonderful, bright, daring Zen spirit. Here we have Rojosa. Just kick it over. Come on. Where's your life? 
And the verse emphasizes this. Cleaving the air, the question came. What is under the kettle? It's cleaving the air, okay? The air has been lots of hot water spilling around, okay? Mistake. Or, oh, what should I do? Cleaving the air. What is under the kettle? What is under you right here, right now? The answer missed the point. The hearth deity. Alas, the one-eyed dragon, this is Myosho, the vice abbot, who's the host, never showed his fangs and claws. In speaking this way, you've long been taken care of at this temple, given Dharma food every day, and you're still wandering around saying, what should I do? Never showed his fangs and claws. This response, he never mustered up his full activity. This one-eyed monk. Dragon one, seeing clearly, yet not engaging with full vigor. With fangs bared and claws unsheathed, this is such a, okay, here I am. Lightning flashes in storm clouds, surging waves swirl and rage, turning against the currents. Like Rinzai's host and guest. So, let us have this kind of vigor in the moments that still remain as we sit here together. Don't take anything for granted. <laughs>